welcome to Three Lakes. We're going to ask you to stand now. We kind of introed it a little bit there, got the music going. Ask you to stand and continue worship with us this morning.
Well, good morning. Good to be back here with you all. Uh, for you who are, <laughs> for those of you who may be visiting, my name's Tim. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, for those of you who may not know, we, my wife gave birth to our fourth child, our first son, two weeks ago today. So it's my first Sunday back. So I want to say thank you to all of you for your support, for meals, for your prayers. Like we just felt so supported in these last couple of weeks. Um, we're just really thankful for. For all of you who have supported us in a variety of ways, so thank you for that. Vanessa is home with our younger two kids this morning, just you know, because he's little and baby and whatever else, but they're all doing well, um, and so we're just yeah, we're thankful for uh, all your support, but I am glad to be back here with you this morning and to um, yeah, be back together with um, God's family gathered here. A couple of announcements to bring to your attention this morning. Um, one, the next Saturday, there's an insert in your bulletin, there's a No Regrets Men's Conference that's over at uh, Faith Evangelical Free Church in Woodruff. And so um, we will, there will be a van that departs from the church here at 7.15 next Saturday. Uh, the conference goes from 8.30 to 1.30 out there at um, Faith in Woodruff. And we'd yeah, just encourage men to be a part of that conference. Uh, and then, yeah, we're just again, glad to be able to gather here this morning uh, as God's people. Um, and one of the ways we kind of think about worship and continuing in worship is through, through our tithes and offerings. And if you want to give this morning to what we're doing here at the church, you can drop an offering in the, in the boxes on the back wall, or you can give online at plefc.org slash give. Again, it's just good to be here to gather together at God people. And so let's kind of just quiet our heart, quiet our minds by going to God in prayer together. Father God, we thank you for the chance to, to gather, to be together with the people you have called together in this place. For, for each person who is here this morning, who is watching online this morning, who has joined together with us. We, we thank you for the work you've done in each life represented here to bring us to this place. We can come before you, we can worship you in song, we can hear your word, we can be drawn into your presence, we can be conformed more and more into the image of your Son. God, I pray that you would be at work in each heart and mind here this morning to do the work you desire to do in each of us, to conform us more and more to the image of your Son, to lead us into more and more holy lives, to help us see all the more clearly what a great thing you've done for us in Jesus. God, would you fix our minds on you this morning? Would the care of the world fade away as we sing and as we come before you? Would you be amazed at what a great God you are? Father, for those who are gathered here, who are hurting or who are in need of extra care this morning, pray that you would be 
at work in their life, that they would feel a deep and real sense of your presence with them. That you would comfort and strengthen those who are in need of comfort and strength. God, would we this morning be amazed, be transfixed by your glory as we sing it and as we hear it from your word. Praise on Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to ask you to stay seated for a little bit. Um, we're going to introduce a new song this morning. It's called Goodness of God. We were practicing, and we have like a Thursday night practice where... And a Sunday morning practice. We're here a lot. But on Thursday night, we had pulled like a bunch of music together and kind of figured we'd come into the worship practice and sort out what we were going to play. And we decided to play everything this morning. So you're getting a, a new song that originally we didn't have on our list. But this song is just a beautiful, I think it's kind of, you know, there's some, some music. Like I always think I Love You, Lord is one of these songs where I can just sing it and I can close my eyes and I can worship because it's simple and it's beautiful and I feel like this song is one of those where it's a little bit more like a hymn chorus so um, you can sing along as we play it if you catch on quickly enough or just listen and then we'll continue worship after that
Roaring
great that we're just saying it is finished. Jesus' wounds, his death on the cross have already paid the full price for our sins. There's nothing more you require of us for us to be forgiven. But it's done. It is finished. Our ransom is paid. And we can come before you confident that Jesus has done all that it required for us. We praise you for that. Praise in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So this, this morning we're going to be back in the book of Luke. And so it's like over a year ago now that we first started going through the book of Luke. And we've taken these breaks along the way, right? We don't want to get too bogged down in the, like too tired of Luke. We've taken breaks along the way, but for over a year we've been going on and off through the book of Luke. And it's like kind of a big undertaking. Luke is 24 chapters long. Like why go through such a big book? But I thought it was really important for me, like early on in my time here as the pastor here at Three Lakes Evangelical Free Church, to like go through this book because this book talks about one question that is essential. And that is like, who is Jesus? And if we as a church body can agree on the answer to that question, like who is Jesus? What did, what did he do for us? If we can agree on that, then everything else kind of flows out of that naturally. And so if we can agree on who Jesus is, what he did for us, then things like how do we do ministry as a church, how do we live our lives out in the community, how do we relate to one another, like all those things like fall into place right? if, if we agree about who Jesus is. And that's what Luke is really all about telling us. He's showing us who this Jesus is. And so we've been working our way through the book, of Luke, trying to establish a strong groundwork to answer that question. So this morning we're going to be in Luke chapter 11, verses 37 through 54. If you have a Bible, I'd invite you to turn there. There's probably one in the seat in front of you, in front of you if you need one. Otherwise, the verses will be on the screen as well. So like one of the, one of the marks, one of the signs of a really good story right, is like the the story creator, whether it's the author, the filmmaker, whoever it is, like that creator's ability to make you really despise a villain. Right? Like, as nice as it sounds, like a story where everyone is nice and everyone just gets along, like that's not a very engaging story. We, a story needs conflict to hold our attention. And one of the ways to create conflict in a story is through a villain that is like loathsome. And then, like, as the story kind of moves on, right, the, the villain's arc can go one of two directions. Right? And one arc, like, the villain is redeemed. Right? Like, the villain realizes the error of his ways, he turns from those errors, and he, he, put, he writes his past wrongs, and he's, like, redeemed, and everything's good. And that's one arc that the, that the villain can go on. Right? And because of the life stage I'm in, like, we read a lot of children's books, watch a lot of children's movies, right? And so those books, those movies, they love that arc, right? They love the redeeming the villain arc. Maybe the, the quintessential example of that in my mind is The Grinch, right? Like, 
Like, here's the character. Like, he wants nothing more than to, like, steal Christmas joy from little boys and girls. Like, what could be more evil than that? Right? But by the end of the story, like, he sees, like, the Who's down in Whoville. Like, they're still experiencing Christmas joy, even though he's taken all their stuff. Like, he realizes the air of his ways, and his, his heart grows three sizes, and he returns all the stuff he took. Like, and everything, he joins in the Christmas... He joins in the Christmas festivities and everyone's happy. The Grinch is redeemed. It's a feel-good story. So that's one arc the villain can take, the redemption arc. The other arc that can be satisfying is when the villain kind of gets what they deserve. When they get what's coming to them. There's just something satisfying. right? When the character who's been kind of a jerk all book long or all movie long finally gets what's coming to them. Like, again, in, in The Lion King, right? Like, there's something satisfying to see Scar meet his end at the hands of the hyenas who he had been using to do his bidding. So there's, there's, there's two arcs, right? There's the redemption arc and there's kind of the justice arc. And it makes sense that we would find satisfaction in both of these like we are made in the image of God, and part of that is we crave both stories of grace and redemption. But there's another part of it that craves justice right, and things being made right. So we crave both those arcs. And in, in Luke, like there's no shortage of villains. Right? Like there's there's Judas who betrays Jesus. There's, there's Pontius Pilate who sentences him to death. There are the two Herods, right? first Herod the Great, who tries to kill him as a baby, and then his son, Herod Antipas, who like, lets Pontius Pilate kill him. Right? But of all the villains in Luke, right, perhaps the most like, aggravating to me right, are the Pharisees. Like, 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 for me, at least, like, the reason they're so aggravating... It's like if anyone should know better, it's them. If anyone should have been on Jesus' side, it's the Pharisees. Like they were the religious experts of their day. They knew the prophecies of the coming Messiah. They, they should have celebrated and welcomed Jesus' coming. But instead, they constantly worked against him. They tried to catch him in lies, and eventually they would contribute to his death and crucifixion. And in today's passage, in Luke 11 here, like we have one of those moments that we tend to crave. We get to see Jesus like, kind of putting the Pharisees in their place, right? giving the villains something of what they deserve. Right? Jesus is going to point out the hypocrisy and the, the moral failures of the Pharisees. And it can be Satisfying. I can feel good. But what I want us to see this morning is that I think we need to be a little bit careful about how we respond to this passage. Let me read it, and then I'll explain what I mean. So starting in verse 37 of Luke chapter 11, we read this. When Jesus had finished speaking, a Pharisee invited him to eat with him, So he went in and reclined at the table. 
But the Pharisee was surprised when he noticed that Jesus did not first wash before the meal. Then the Lord said to him, Now then, you Pharisee, clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. You foolish people, did not the one who made the outside make the inside also? It's like, that's the point where like, yeah, like you tell him, Jesus. Right? But now, after what is inside you, be generous to the poor and everything will be clean for you. Woe to you, Pharisee, because you give God a tenth of your mint, rue, and all other kinds of garden herbs, but you neglect justice and the love of God. You should have practiced the latter without leaving the former undone. Woe to you, Pharisees, because you love the most important seat in the synagogues and respectful greetings in the marketplaces. Woe to you, because you are like unmarked graves which people walk over without knowing it. And again, like, yeah, you tell them, Jesus. One of the experts of the law answered him, Teacher, when you say these things, you insult us also. Jesus replied, And you experts in the law, woe to you, because you load people down with burdens they can hardly carry. And you yourselves will not lift a finger to help them. Woe to you, because you build tombs for the prophets. And it was your ancestors who killed them. So you testify that you approve of what your ancestors did. They killed the prophets, and you build their tombs. Because of this, God in his wisdom said, I will send the prophets, send them prophets and apostles, some of whom they will kill, and others they will persecute. Therefore, this generation will be held responsible for the blood of all the prophets that have been shed since the beginning of the world, from the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah, who was killed between the altar and the sanctuary. Yes, I tell you, this generation will be held responsible for it all. Woe to you experts in the law, because you have taken away the key to knowledge. You yourselves have not entered, and you have hindered those who were entering. When Jesus went outside, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law began to oppose him fiercely and besiege him with questions, waiting to catch him in something he might say. Right, so what we, what we have in the passage is... It's Jesus like, issuing these warnings against the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. Just for the record, like Pharisees and teachers of the law, it's like a lot of words. I'm going to say Pharisees from now on, but I mean both groups simultaneously. Right? And so Jesus is condemning the Pharisees for, for certain behaviors. Right? And there's at least kind of two ways we could respond to what Jesus is doing here. Right? The first way is what we talked about in the introduction. Right? We could just be like, we just find satisfaction in the Pharisees being put in their place. We just kind of look down our noses at the Pharisees and like think, yeah, like you tell them, Jesus. And that's option number one. The other way we can respond to this, and I would argue like the more appropriate way to respond to this, like we can recognize that we all like, have some pharisaical tendencies in us. And, like, and we can hear these woes that Jesus gives here as warning to us to make sure we don't fall into the same pattern that the Pharisees fell into. Like, I think that's a more appropriate way to respond to this passage. And in fact, like, 
in the next chapter, in chapter 12, Jesus will say, like, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. Like, make sure you don't go that way. I think that's what Jesus is doing here. He's guiding us. He's warning us not to fall into the pattern that the Pharisees fell into. Like, Luke didn't write this passage right, just to tell us how bad the Pharisees were. He wrote this to tell us, to teach us that we must be on guard not to fall into the same types of spiritual sins that the Pharisees and the experts in the law fell into. And we kind of categorize the things that Jesus condemns about the Pharisees in this passage into kind of three broad categories. Jesus condemns the Pharisees for their spiritual hypocrisy, for their spiritual pride, and for their causing spiritual harm. So this morning I just want to like briefly look at each of those three categories. And like first look at how the Pharisees themselves were guilty of them. And like consider how we might be guilty of the same things in our lives and how we can guard against falling into the same pattern. So the first thing we see Jesus condemn the Pharisees for is their spiritual hypocrisy. Before we look at examples of that in the passage, like, let's just make sure we're on the same page of what I mean by spiritual hypocrisy. One of the dictionary definitions of hypocrisy is a behavior that does not agree with what someone claims to believe or feel. So what we see the Pharisee being condemned for in this passage is engaging in behavior that does not agree with what they claim to believe about who God is. Or to put it another way, the Pharisees are more concerned with looking holy than actually being holy. Let's see this a couple different places in this passage. One is in verse 39. Jesus says, You Pharisees clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. You foolish people, did not the one who made the outside make the inside also? And this all stems from, a, from an argument that Jesus and the Pharisees are having over hand-washing. As the Pharisees invite Jesus to eat with them, and Jesus joins them, but he doesn't wash his hands first. And look, I know we live in a time right now where everyone's got like a super heightened sense of the importance of hand-washing. It's like you can read, like, Jesus didn't wash his hands and be like, Ew, gross, right? But like, let's be clear, like the hand-washing the Pharisees were doing was not some hygienic process. Like, so, like, don't judge me too harshly for this. I was young. But, but sometimes, when I was a kid, like, after I used the bathroom, like, I didn't want to waste my, time, waste my time washing my hands. Right? And so I just like, turn the water on, and I'd get my hands wet a little bit, I'd turn the water off, and I'd like, intentionally do a really bad job drying my hands. Right? In case my mom questioned me, so I could be like, look, mom, look, my hands are wet. Like, clearly, I wash my hands. Right? Right? But my mom she caught on to this. She's wise to my schemes. But she would take my hands, and she would grab them, and she would like, sniff them. Right? Like, there's no soap there, son. And she'd send me back to the bathroom to wash my hands properly. Like, why would she do that? Because, like, washing with just water doesn't actually do all that much good. Like, I was just getting my hands wet, 
so that it would look like I was doing what was expected of me. And the Pharisees were doing something similar with their hand-washing here in this passage. Like their hand-washing was just to make themselves look good to anyone who might be watching. But the ceremonial act of like just briefly dipping their hands in a little bit of water doesn't actually make them holy. It's like washing the outside of a cup, but not washing the inside doesn't actually make that cup clean for drinking out of. And in fact, Jesus says, like, on the inside, the Pharisees were the very opposite of holy. He said they were full of greed and wickedness. Right? And so the, the Pharisees, they claimed to be holy. Their, their outward actions made them look holy, people who are watching. But they were actually greedy and wicked. They were hypocrites. Likewise, in verse 42, we read, Woe to you, Pharisees, because you give God a tenth of your mint and rue and all other kinds of garden herbs, but you neglect justice and the love of God. And so the, the Pharisees, they were meticulous about making sure that they gave a tenth of everything they had. Right? Like they were literally tithing out of their spice rack. Right? But the reason... They were so meticulous about this. It was not because they wanted to honor God. The reason they were so meticulous, the reason they were tithing out of every last thing, because tithing was a very visible way to show other people how holy you were being. And notice, right? Jesus doesn't say it was wrong for them to do that. In fact, he says they should keep doing that. He said, do not neglect that. Right? But he also says, you should keep doing that, but not to the neglect of showing the justice and love of God. But the thing is, right, like, tithing out of your spice rack is relatively easy, while still being a very visible way to honor God. On the other hand, showing the love and justice of God is much more emotionally and mentally challenging and oftentimes it'll go unnoticed or unappreciated. And if the Pharisees were, were primarily concerned with doing what God wanted, then they wouldn't have let the challenges of the challenges and low visibility of showing God's love and justice stop them. But the Pharisees weren't worried about actually doing what God wanted. They just cared about looking holy. And so they didn't do the hard, low-visibility stuff. They just did the easy, high-visibility stuff. They claimed to want to honor God with their lives, but their neglect of the love and justice of God shows that they didn't really care. They were hypocrites. And again, it's, like, it's so easy right, to like look down, judge the Pharisees here. Right, but before you do, you've never done this? You've never done anything to make yourself look more holy than you actually are? Never done anything more out of caring about appearances than actually about your own holiness? If you can say you've never done that, then you're doing way better than me. Like, just like thinking through all the different ways that I, I do this. Like, like I spent far too much mental energy in my life like thinking about how my 
books are arranged on my shelf. When the people walk in my house, they see certain books more prominently displayed, or certain books sitting on the coffee table, not because I'm reading them, but because I want people to think I'm reading them. Right? Or like, when we have people over for supper, like, I pray better before the meal than I do when it's just our family. Why? Because I care about people think, not actually about my own relationship with God. Right? Or like, just think about like, when COVID first hit, right? like we all did church at home. Like, like you're all dressed all nicely here today. Right? Like you're all, most of you at least, looking at me, paying attention. Right? But like when we're doing church at home, like I was like laying on my sofa, like with my phone out, like while the pastor preached in the background. Like, like why? Because like no one's there to judge me for it, right? And I didn't really care about looking good because there's no one to look good for. But if I actually cared about like what God wanted and not like how I looked at other people, then my behavior wouldn't change. And so like, it's worth time, like taking the time to ask ourselves the question, like, are there things that I do because they make me look good and not because I'm actually trying to honor God with them? Or look at it another way. Right? Are there are there things that you know God wants you to do, or you feel God may be calling you to do, but that you, that you don't do because, like, well, no one really noticed. It's kind of hard. You just don't do it. Are there things in your life that fall into those categories? Well, my, my urging for it is like, let's not be like the Pharisees. Let's be on guard against this kind of spiritual hypocrisy. Let's care more about being holy than looking holy. That's spiritual hypocrisy. And then in addition to spiritual hypocrisy, another area of guilt for the Pharisees was spiritual pride. We see this in verse 43. Jesus says, Woe to you Pharisees, because you love the most important seats in the synagogues and respectful greetings in the marketplaces. So not only were the Pharisees more concerned about looking holy than being holy, they were more concerned about like being recognized and honored for their holiness. But they wanted to sit in the place in the synagogue where it was clear how important they were. They wanted people in the streets to recognize them and respect them and revere them for their holiness. Like Every time I read this passage, I can't help but think about some of the early churches in the United States. Right? So like here we have like chairs laid out. Right? Here you sit in. Before chairs we had pews. Right? But the early church in the United States, they didn't have just pews and nice neat lines like this. They had pew boxes, basically. Where the bo- there are like boxes in the church, and there are pews on three sides of each box, and there are like shoulder height walls around each box. Right? So you could kind of go in there and... Like, I don't know what the like, 1700 equivalent of an iPhone is, but you get on your whatever, and like, no one knew what you're going to do inside your pew, right? You're just kind of, you'd be anonymous inside the pew. So there are all these pew boxes all throughout the church. And like, the thing is, like, those pew boxes weren't there on a first come, first serve basis. But instead, different 
family purchased different pew boxes. And like they like even they even had deeds to these boxes, like it was a big deal. Like they got passed down through generations. Like you owned your spot in the church. Like I know some of you like to sit in the same spot every week. Like some I mean, of you maybe feel like you own your spot. Right? But if, if someone shows up and is sitting in your spot on a given Sunday, like I'm not gonna kick them out. Right? But back then, like you owned that spot. It like really was your spot. And the thing is, like, the pews in the more prestigious spots, the boxes in the more prestigious spots, towards the front of the church, right, they cost more money. And some of the more fancy boxes even had things like, like fireplaces built into the pew box. But you think about, like, a lot of these churches were, like, in New England, like, before modern furnaces. Like, that's a nice little perk, right? And so, like, they had, like, fireplaces built in. Like, they, they were fancy pew boxes, and like, so they were nice. And like, the point being, like, where your pew was in church and how nice your pew box was, right, it was a status symbol. And it was also kind of a blatant way to say, like, look how much money like, I'm giving to the church that I have this super fancy box. Meanwhile, the poor congregants, like, who couldn't afford to purchase a whole pew box, but they were kind of stuffed in the back of the church, sometimes for a standing room only, like these old Puritan pastors, they preach for hours, right? So you're standing for who knows how long, right? That just doesn't sound pleasant. Like every time I hear about these pew boxes, how people have like paid for them and bought them, like all I can think of is, like, do these people never read Luke 11? Like how can you read Jesus condemning the Pharisees for wanting the most important seats in the synagogues and then go try to outbid your neighbor for the best pew? Like how does that make sense? And once again, right? it's so easy to look down on the Pharisees or to look down on the people who are buying fancy church pews and then miss our own tendency towards spiritual pride. But we are guilty of the same thing. Like, like when I was in seminary, I feel like there was always like one guy in every class. Right? Like he was only there to ask like the most inane, detailed, obnoxious questions. Not because he really cared, but because his asking that question was like a sign that, hey, like, I know a lot of stuff that I can ask this question. Right? It was like a way of showing off. And I would, just, I would get so annoyed by that guy. Right? But then, I was like, being honest and analyzing myself a little bit deeper, I would realize like, the real reason that bothered me is because like, I wanted to be known as the guy who knew a lot of stuff. Like, I wanted the credit for knowing all the things that I can ask the annoying, inane questions. Right? It was my own pride, not that other guy's pride that was the problem. We are so prone to spiritual pride, to wanting to be seen as more knowledgeable, more holy than we really are. We really need to be on guard against this kind of pride. Right? It's, it's so easy to fall into the trap of thinking you deserve some kind of recognition or status of your faithfulness to God. And if, if we're not careful, that, that status or that recognition can become the motivation, the thing that motivates us to live righteous lives instead of our motivation being to honor God. 
must guard against the kind of spiritual pride. And so their spiritual hypocrisy, their spiritual pride, those are, those are bad enough. But at least those primarily only harmed the Pharisees themselves. But the heirs of the Pharisees go even deeper than that. Because not only do the heirs reveal their own spiritual hypocrisy, their own spiritual pride, but the heirs also cause spiritual harm. We see this several places in the passage. Verse 44, for example, we read, Woe to you, because you are like unmarked graves, while people walk over you, which people walk over, without knowing it. And I first read that, I was like, what's going on? Like, why find them unmarked graves? But here's the thing. Right? In Judaism, in the culture at that time, if you walked over a grave, or you came in contact with a grave, like, you would be unclean, and you have to go through, like, a purification process to be considered clean again. But if you walk over an unmarked grave, like, you become unclean, and you don't even know it. And what Jesus is saying here is, like, the Pharisees are like that, right? They're making people unclean. They're leading them spiritually astray without them even knowing it. They're doing spiritual harm. The people aren't even aware that they're being spiritually harmed. Similarly, in verse 46, Jesus says, And you experts in the law, woe to you because you load people down with burdens that they can hardly carry. And you yourselves will not lift one finger to help them. The Pharisees, that preach on the law, they look at all these different requirements to God's law that God himself had not revealed. They add all these extra burdens to the law. And then they would do nothing to actually help people meet those requirements. And all this does, all this did, was to make people feel burdened, feel guilty for their inability to keep those requirements, and it would drive people away from God. The people who should have been drawing people closer to God, the Pharisees, the experts in the law, they should have been drawing people closer, but they were really doing spiritual harm. And I'm thinking kind of this week, like how then are we guilty of this sort of thing? In our culture now, like how do we find ourselves falling into this same trap? <clears throat> And I say one way we do this, at least one way, it's like, we do this any time like, we lose sight of the main thing. Anytime we start making secondary issues the litmus test for true Christianity, we're falling into this same trap. Right? As I said at the very beginning, the reason we're going through the book of Luke, like the one thing that is absolutely essential for us to agree on who Jesus is, and what he has done for us. And what we see throughout the book of Luke and throughout the New Testament is that Jesus is the fully divine, sinless Son of God who gives up the glories of heaven, who comes to earth and lives a sinless life, and then died on the cross to pay the penalty that we deserve for our sins, so that by believing in him, our sin can be forgiven we can spend eternity with him in the new heavens and the new earth. Like that's the, the core central truth of the Bible. 
that Jesus came and he was sinless so that for all the times that we were spiritual hypocrites, all the times that we had spiritual pride, all the times that we caused spiritual harm, all of them are forgiven if we trust in Jesus because he never sinned and yet he died in our place. But that's, the, that's the main issue. That's the core issue of Christianity. That's what matters. But then flowing from that, there's all these kind of secondary questions that revolve around <clears throat> that truth. Right? Like, things like, well, if that's true, then how do we understand free will? Like, how old is the earth? Like, like what are the, what's the order of events leading up to and following Jesus' return? Like, what about, like, miraculous gifts, like speaking in tongues? Like, how does my faith impact my politics? Like, all these things are kind of secondary issues. But oftentimes, you kind of get prone to making them into primary issues. They often get confused for the main thing when they're the secondary thing. We make people agreeing with us on those secondary issues into a litmus test of whether they're really a Christian. Like, if you didn't vote for my guy, then I'm not so sure about you. That's not how it works. And when we do that, like, we're adding burdens on the people. Like, we're no better than the Pharisees. And we do, end up doing spiritual harm to those around us. When we focus on those secondary issues, we draw people away from Jesus and bog them down into those secondary things. Like my, my hope for us as a church, both as we gather here and as we go out into the community, that we be known as the people who is ruthlessly committed to the one main thing. And that's Jesus, who He is, and what He's done for us. My hope is that we would never be a church that's accused of loading people down with burdens they cannot carry but that we would point people to Jesus. And then, right, we would have loving, open-minded conversations about those other issues. Right? But it's not that they don't matter. It's not that they're not important, but they're not as important as Jesus and who He is and what He's done. So we want to be committed to Jesus and His life and what He's done for us as the one main thing, and not cause spiritual harm to others. Right. So as we kind of wrap up this morning, I just got to wrap up a sermon by kind of finding different ways we can apply the sermon to our lives. Right? Things that we can take from here that we can either behave differently or think differently or act differently as we leave here. But as I was kind of thinking through this passage and as I was writing this sermon, like it kind of occurred to me like that most of the ways we have of applying a passage kind of fit nicely into the three categories of our mission statement at the church. Like many of the ways we learn to put the Bible into practice are either about ways we can reach people more effectively or ways we can grow to be like Christ or ways that we can serve other people better. They all kind of, all application kind of fits in one of those three categories. So my plan going forward is, as I wrap up sermons, help us apply the passage by like, fitting application to one of those three categories. 
not, not to be clear, like I don't want to force anything into those categories. Like my first priority to be faithful to what the passage says. Like the last thing I want to do is twist the passage in order to make it fit. But the reason our mission statement exists, the reason we want to be about reaching people with the gospel, growing to be like Christ and serving others, is that because we believe that that's what the Bible calls us to. And if the Bible calls us to that, then it makes sense that what we read in the passage would fit into those categories. And so this is going to be at least like a test run of applying the passage in those three categories. We'll see how it works. Maybe I'll give it up in a couple of weeks, but that's kind of my plan going forward. And so our first kind of category is, is we want to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so like, as we think about this passage, how, do we, how does this passage inform how we reach people with the gospel? I think what we see in this passage, right, that like our hypocrisy, our spiritual hypocrisy, can be a huge barrier to reaching people with the gospel. According to one recent study, 85% of millennials who don't go to church say they don't go because Christians are hypocritical. Right? Now, to be clear, you got to be careful here, because there are some things that the world would call hypocritical that are just part of faithful biblical living. We don't want, we don't want to give those things up. We also need to admit that there are plenty of actions that people who claim to be Christians do that truly are hypocritical. And of course, like you personally can't control the hypocrisy of others. But as, we, as you seek to reach people with the gospel, we need to be aware that any hypocrisy in our own lives will be like a great hindrance to our ability to reach people. We need to be on guard against our own hypocrisy. The second part of our mission statement is to grow to be like Christ. In this passage, we want to grow to be like Christ. I just encourage each of us to examine your life, like find areas where pride is creeping in, like where spiritual pride is seeking a foothold in your life, where you desire more recognition than actually honoring God. And I think if we're honest, like we all have those areas. We want to grow to be like Christ. We need to root those areas of spiritual pride out of our lives. I just invite you and encourage you to examine your life for those areas of pride. And the final part of our mission statement is that we want to serve others. In the light of this passage, I think, in light of this passage, I would just encourage us, as we serve others, serve right, not in the mindset of like, hoping other people see you serving and give you credit for your service. But serve out of a genuine desire to honor God. Not worrying about whether you're recognized, not worrying about whether you're noticed for your service. But serve because it is what God calls you to do. Knowing that God notices. Now that's what it matters. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for these warnings to us as you guide us on how we live our lives. 
And above all, we thank you that Jesus came and he faced the opposition of the Pharisees. That even though he would ultimately be killed with the help of the Pharisees, that it was all part of your plan in order that we could be forgiven all the times that we hypocritical, all the times that we were prideful, all the times that we caused spiritual harm, all the times that we sinned. They were dealt with because Jesus came and He faced all the top position, yet never sinned. Thank you that Jesus did that on our behalf, so we could have eternal life with Him by believing in Him. As we go from here, would we go on guard against hypocrisy that may creep in our lives, on guard against pride that may creep in our lives, on guard against the ways we may lead people away from You, God, as we see what there is in our life, would we turn from them and turn back to you in repentance? Trusting that you have already done all that's necessary for us to be forgiven of those things. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you go from here, would you go desiring to reach people with the gospel and growing to be like Christ and serving others and on guard against hypocrisy and pride and causing spiritual harm. You are dismissed.
goodness for your love.